Before we get started, we wanted to give a disclaimer. Some of the topics discussed in this episode are sensitive. We want this to be an open conversation about topics that are hard to discuss, but we also want our audience to be comfortable. Homelessness, substance abuse, and withdrawal will be discussed in this episode of Beyond the Lines. Please consider not listening if you feel that this topic could bring about emotional distress. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Beyond the Lines, a podcast brought to you by East Carolina University Campus Recreation and Wellness. My name is Delaney, and I'm one of your hosts this season. Hi, friends. It's Rachel again, back with Beyond the Lines, Resilient and Real. And today I'm going to introduce one of my good friends, Ethan, and we'll let him introduce himself for you. Hey, my name is Ethan. I'm a uh, last semester senior at ECU, pursuing my uh, BSW. I'm doing my internship right now. And then I'm headed to the University of South Carolina for law school. All right. So Ethan is going to share his story with us today. Um, So if you want to just kind of jump right into it. Where does your story (laughs) begin? Okay. So that's kind of one of those things. It's like where, all right. So yeah, the the age old question is what comes first, the chicken or the egg. Okay. Right. So addiction is a mental disease, uh, mental disorder. So it's always like people are like, where does your story begin? Like, I think I always had the story. I just think how it manifested itself was through my experiences in life. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, what really happened was I was at a point in time in life where I was very vulnerable. I said I was 12 or 13. And um, sorry, I've had a little bit of a sinus infection lately. I've been working at the homeless shelter and there's a lot of different germs around there. But um, <laughs> that's fine. Lots of germs. <laughs> Um, but anyway, uh, it was in a transitional period where my mother was getting remarried and my dad had already been remarried and had a kid that was like five or six years old. And my mom moved to, uh, Beaufort County, which is about an hour away. And, uh, the only way I could see her was if I went and spent time with her and my stepfather. And I have an older brother too. He's a half brother. Um, he's my mom's son and his dad, I call uncle John. So we're all close and we all know each other very well. Anyway, my brother actually had an accident one time where a trampoline brace snapped and threw him like 20 foot into the air and it shattered all the bones in his legs. And he got put on prescription medication. And what he got put on was, you know, painkillers, really, really strong painkillers. He was like 12 or 13 years old. And so I know he had always done the painkillers, but it was not really talked about a whole lot. But then my mom had had knee surgery and in the operating room, the doctor accidentally put the wrong size knee into her, you know, mm-hmm. knee place, I guess is what it would be <laughs> socket. called. I don't the, even know what you would call that. Knee socket? socket. Well, it's not, it's the they, knee like, joint? They cut the bone. So the issue was that he cut the bone, like, just, I, I'm sure this was microscopic, but cut it just, just a little bit too much. And she wound up sitting in bed for about a year and a half. And he was older. And so what he did to try to remedy the situation was he prescribed her like 120. um, I don't know if you guys know much about medications and things like that, but opiates. Mm -hmm. And and we're not talking about a Percocet. We're talking about Opanas Mm -hmm. and things that are used for chronically like ill cancer patients. Wow. I don't know much about that stuff at all. So I'm definitely learning some stuff today now, aren't I? Yeah. So it's basically just all medication that has no filler, no Tylenol, Mm -hmm. none of that. And so I watched my brother begin to take the pills. And I'm sure this was a period in time when my brother was experimenting himself. 
I, I guess he knew that the drugs were good and that they were expensive and stuff. And so I watched him. He would sell them. Mm-hmm. I'm not much of a, a sell, uh, sell, sell you stuff type person. I would, I wanted to try it. A salesperson or sell <laughs> right. you stuff. So yes. I realized that he would also take them and sell yeah. them. And so, you know, I had walked into the room and, um, he, maybe he was high or something. I don't know, but he was doing, he was, he was breaking the pills down and was going to snort them and he offered me a line. And how old were you at this time? I was probably 12 or 13. Wow. And so, you know, I always look back on that and I'm like, you know, that's kind of, it was kind of one of those things where it's like, you love people, but then you look at the things they do. And then as I got older, I always realized he was, he has always been like really hard on me, a lot Mm -hmm. harder on me than anybody in my whole life. And I think it was because he felt like he started it, which Mm -hmm. he did. Mm-hmm. ultimately i mean like the choices that contributed to the chaos that continued for the next six years you know had a lot to do with me but that was a lot of the um a lot of the issue and i and i really i really don't think that it was the drugs that were the issue yeah the issue was me because ultimately if i would have been in a healthier situation if i'd have been in a healthier frame of mind and so I guess you can kind of put it on the parents for not being able to like taking care of their children. But you look at it and, you know, our, today's society, you know, I have a father who makes a quite a bit of money and I have a mother with a stepfather and they both had nice $300,000 plus houses. And mm-hmm. so it just wasn't seen like that. But if I tell you my story, it sounds like I lived in the crack house or I lived in a trailer <laughs> bar. You know, I didn't. I right. grew up in a nice place. It's just a part about, each individual is different. Right. You know, change is, is always, change is, is constant. It's a constant thing. And I think throughout those periods when you grow up and you go to middle school and you're developing who you are and you're developing, you know, what really makes you you? You know, mm-hmm. I really don't think you, you really figure out who you are until you're like 24 or something like that. You know, some people it takes a long time. Yeah. I stunted that so hard with the drugs Mm -hmm. because I gave me a sense of identity, you know, completely fulfilled identity. Like, you know, you think of drugs, you think of parties, you think of hanging out, you think of sex, you think of all those things. That's very attractive to young people. And I was good at at drugs. I mean, <laughs> right. That, that's, and not to mention, I mean, pop culture fantasizes the drug culture itself. Like all the music nowadays is about that stuff. So, it does. I mean, it makes sense that your mind would go there. Yeah. And it's like you think about like you hearing people like, you know, it's an odd thing in like certain drug cultures, like to get certain medications that are like really rare and they're like mm-hmm. hard to get. And it was like, I remember being in a high school and I remember figuring out how to get those meds. Like mm-hmm. how you to get the this plug. Stuff. Yeah. So. I found the plug for like, <laughs> You know, what people wanted to buy, what people yeah. wanted to do. And so that gave me a sense of identity. That gave me a sense of like, you know, this guy, like, I, I didn't make any money. Yeah. You know, but it was cool. It just kind of made you feel a little bit important. Yeah. Maybe? It, gave, it gave me a sense of. Like uh, a purpose. Yeah, it gave me a purpose. Yeah. Okay. Which is ultimately what everybody wants. Yeah. I really wanted to be the smart kid that was in tag and that did all that stuff, which I did. I wasn't like <laughs> academically gifted. Like a double like, life. You know, <laughs> which I did. I, like I, I did <laughs> those things, but like the drugs, like eventually overwhelmed where like I quit playing yeah. sport. So obviously, like you said, you started using substances around 12 or 13 and 
by your senior year of high school, you were named most rebellious. So obviously that's a trend that kind of stuck with you through high school. Mm -hmm. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Maybe like what um, that was like for you? (laughs) Yeah, actually I can tell you a few instances of uh, like how it affected my like high school career. Well, the first one was I had an instance where you know, it's basically there was a girl that I liked and, uh, you know, we were dating or whatever. And, and word got around to her mom that she was dating me. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was actually, uh, it's funny, she actually goes here. So if she ever hears this, she'll know the story. But Uh-oh. I was actually sitting on the couch and her dad came in there and threw some bullets at me and said, these bullets fly faster after dark. Like basically joking that he was going to shoot me. Like oh. just kid, I mean, he was kidding, you know, but like still it was because I had that rebellious like that that attitude like I was like I did drugs like I smoked pot you know but people didn't think of me as like the Jimi Hendrix heroin type you know like (laughs) I wasn't like that it was more like the party type like the guy that could get you party drugs or stuff like that which I wasn't the only one in our school like that so yeah okay so how did your activities uh affect your like academics i guess were you still a good student throughout high school yeah i had a's and a's and b's i took uh, ap classes and stuff like that um my my biggest downfall is that i didn't go you didn't go to class <laughs> yeah i think the last year my senior year i had uh no junior year i had 76 absences throughout the year and so they i failed every class and so then i got kicked out wow I was actually asked to leave, and so then I had to do online coursework to get my uh, diploma. Hmm. But I got it from the high school that I went to for three years. Well, that's good. That's good that you were able to get your diploma, even though you had um, some setbacks, it sounds like. So did you, like, go straight from high school to college, or, like, what was that kind of intermediate transition? I had a buddy of mine. He was actually my cousin. And um, we had, I, I, I try to remember a lot of times, like, what exactly it was that, like, ignited the fire. So you think of we had, there was, there was about six six or seven guys that we all hung out. We all smoked pot together and, mm-hmm. and hung around, and we'd mess around with pills, or we'd, you know, drink or stuff on the weekends and go to parties and uh he was a little bit older than I was. I think he was like two years older than I was. Um, and he was always known as like doing like pills, opiates. And, mm-hmm. and and that was like, that was like, wasn't like a big, big deal back in high school. It wasn't, didn't seem like it was such a, a huge thing. And um, I remember that day, like very, very vividly. Um, it was actually, we had a little tree house at one of my buddy's um, houses. And his dad was, his dad was a construction worker. So I guess he built it for him and mm-hmm. it was, had a, two couches in there, a little TV area. That's nice. Yeah, it was nice. It really was Was it, nice. like, actually in a tree? No. Oh. But, like, it had, like, the nice stairs. You walk up a little okay. wraparound porch. When we were younger, we used to jump off of it onto the trampoline. Like, it was fun. It was a lot of good memories of the treehouse. Yeah. But anyway, uh, he comes in one day, and I remember, I remember it was a Tuesday because I remember we had, like, this special block, like, class at school. Mm-hmm. And then I had AP, AP. American history um, was like my third class, like after lunch. Mm-hmm. And I remember he came in there, he said he was bringing some pills and he came in there and he brought some heroin mm-hmm. and he put it on the table. And I remember being like, dude, I'm not going to do that. Mm-hmm. And then he's like, it's the only thing we got. 
and I was instantly just like, the the way I justified it, like I am the best justifier on <laughs> earth. Like I can justify okay. anything. Like literally, I can justify anything. Okay. Yeah. Um. So I justified <laughs> the fact that. It was the same thing as pills. I mean, I even remember this was like right after you got smartphones. Okay. And I remember Googling <laughs> like the, the the makeup of the different drugs and be like, oh, well, I mean, it's like pretty much the same thing as like pills. So like, yeah. why not? So you, I just snorted it. And I remember going back to school and sitting in the class and I fell asleep and I actually got, you know, I got taken out of class that day and they asked me to leave, leave school because mm-hmm. they knew I was intoxicated. And I, that was pretty much it. Like, that was pretty much all it took that one time where I was really like, okay, you know, I like that. And I was in such a space. I was in, I was such a, a vulnerable person mm-hmm. with, I had, I have great guidance, but I don't listen very well. <laughs> um, I like to do things my way. I like to make mistakes and, and learn from it myself. Mm-hmm. And I was lucky enough that they didn't kill me. Right. But um, anyway, I had this wild idea that I was going to be able to do it and continue to do it. So from junior year through senior year, through that whole summer leading up, I mean, that was pretty much what my routine consisted of was chasing dope. And it sounds gnarly because <laughs> it is, but um, I don't know. What What are some questions when I tell you that? Like, what's your reaction to that? Like, you're, you look at me right now, right? I, I like oh, the pressure's on. Like, I have <laughs> gla- like seat. I have glasses on. Like I don't look like I'm. I have a book bag. Like I don't look like that person. No, you don't. And like even when I met Ethan, probably like probably like almost two years ago, maybe I don't know. Um, and I like I would have never in a million years ever gotten that impression that he was ever addicted to anything like when you meet him he's usually got his face in some kind of book or he's doing something studying something doing something and it was not it was not drugs when I met him so um I don't know Delaney what was your impression honestly it brought (laughs) back a lot of memories from my my uh high school experiences okay not that I was in that crowd but the people that I knew in that crowd were close friends of mine and mm-hmm. I I can remember my dad telling me not to hang out with them and uh, I remember certain people I knew would get kicked off of sports teams get kicked mm-hmm. out of class I mean I, I know it wasn't a huge problem at my school but when the drug dogs came to search everyone's cars like there were the few kids that we would think of that were going to get mm-hmm. caught that day yeah I was one uh, yeah I was one <laughs> of those kids like I was the rumor would always go around like and yeah, I think I um, just for our listeners, it's worth noting that whenever you take opioids or opiates, um, they essentially hijack your brain. And that's a, that's basically all you think about, from what I understand anyway. So if, if that, do you think that that's true? Yeah. So I'm going to nerd out for like, I'm going to try to keep it as like minimum as possible. But this is my, this is my thing. This is what I'm going to school for. So um so whenever you take substances like that, they flood your brain's reward system with dopamine and other uh, chemicals that are associated with feeling good and feeling happy. So whenever you take something like that, it floods your brain and your brain is essentially 
chasing that feeling. So you're going to do anything and everything to get that feeling again. So that's like when I say it hijacks your brain, that's kind of what I mean. Like it's you do it once and that part of your brain is like that's all that you focus on. All right, folks, we're going to take a brief intermission here for just a minute and we'll be back in just a few minutes. All right, everyone, we're back from our intermission and we're going to be asking a few questions. So I'm going to kick them off. What was your headspace and thought process like when you were starting to use drugs? What do you mean? Like when I was starting to use drugs, do you mean as in like the first time I ever used drugs? Sure, the first time would be a great place to start. So I try to think of the first time that I ever used drugs. I think it was the first the first thing that I had ever done was smoke pot. But how old were you? When I that was happened? twelve. Wow. Um, what grade is that? Like seventh grade, yeah, seventh maybe? Grade. Around that time? Yeah. Um and I didn't I wasn't like a really big fan of it. It made me really scared scared. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really kinda understand like <laughs> you know, what being high was all about. Right. But the next time I remember getting high is definitely, like, the opiates. Like, I I remember, like, getting some opiates from, like, a friend. Mm -hmm. Like, this was even before, like, my mom's incident thing. Like, you know, like, peddling around and stuff and, like, taking a pill before school, like a Percocet or something. And I remember, like, oh, yeah, like, I like that, like... Because I always feel like, you know, most time, of course, now I'm uh, clinically medicated. I'm not like, <laughs> you know, street, like self-medicating. Like I actually have a doctor that prescribes me my drugs and I don't buy them <laughs> off the street, you know, so. That's good. Progress. That's, yeah, it's progress. So I'm, I'm definitely like a whole <laughs> lot more level. But back then, I definitely think I was like trying to like, as experimenting with myself in a way. But I was also starting to notice, too, that like when I use the substances, like, it was almost fixing some of the other like mental illness stuff that I have, like mm-hmm. the anxiety and the de- depression. Anxiety has always been one of those things in my life that has been like the ruler, the conqueror. Mm-hmm. Like it really holds me. Like, but people never notice it. Right. Like, they don't notice it. So going into school and then like all the practicing with the the different drugs and like and just learning about it, like. I fell in love. Like, I literally, like, I remember the detox. We had to write a letter. Mm -hmm. And the letter was to drugs. Oh, I remember you telling me about this. And I cried writing the letter. Like, what? (laughs) Right. I cried. Like, I I cried. Like, Like, I was giving up a piece of me, you know? Because of, you know, these were the things that when, when I was happy, when I was sad, when I was excited, when I was bored, mm-hmm. when I was angry, upset, tired, you know, like all those things, like they fulfilled every single aspect of what I needed. Like, you know, that um, was it the uh, Maslow's hierarchy of yeah, needs, like it drugs, like needs. literally fulfilled that for me. Right. And. That's why I lost 25 pounds shooting heroin. Jeez, 25 pounds. That's a lot. So, um, so that's, I mean, that's tough. So do you want to talk about like what you're like, what was the lowest point for you? What did that look like? 
we think a lot of times in terms of lowest point, we think of brown paper bag, like on the side of the road. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you've ever heard me speak or ever heard me talk before, I always talk about, you know, being in the Walmart parking lot. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, because that, that's a good selling point. You know, it really is. It sounds good when you're on stage, when, <laughs> when you're going to pay me to speak. For those of you who don't know, this is not Ethan's first time sharing his story. So that's what he's referring to. Right. So if you're going to pay me to speak, I'm going to give you the product that you want. You know, you, you want people to. You, you we're do. not we're not paying him, you, by you the way. Unpaid. <laughs> yeah, unpaid. I have Sorry. To places to be. Just kidding. But um, <laughs> so. You want to give people that sense, that heart, that like heartfelt, like that tug and that emotion. Right. But, you know, honestly, like some of the lowest moments for me were weren't even really at the end. Mm -hmm. They were kind of at the beginning when I really started getting going because they're at the end. I already knew that I was a piece of trash, so I didn't really care, you know. But I remember like stealing my mom's like Wii and like selling that mm -hmm. or like taking her card and like taking out like five hundred dollars or you know things like um i don't think i've ever said this ever i don't i've never told anybody this but my mom had two wedding rings and they were valued mm -hmm. at like twelve thousand dollars because my mom a piece was no together oh, okay. <laughs> I have my mom's been married a whole bunch because she's crazy but so she is out of her collection of wedding rings and it's funny because I'm sure I, I did something with him. I probably hawked him for dope or something one right. night or something, not knowing. But I remember the rings being in my room for yeah. a while because I was, you know, contemplating. And I woke up one day and needed some money and went to get them and they were gone. So either I had done something something with them or either somebody had taken them. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there was a lot of moments there where it was really like, it was a short period of time, but it was a very dark. Yeah. It was a very, very fast spiral and so while all this is going on, it's not just me. I mean, it's all of my friends. Mm -hmm. I mean, every single one of them. I mean, it's, you know, I mean, we're no longer finding local pot dealers. I mean, like, we're mm -hmm. trying to buy heroin online. Like, Oh, gosh. So it, it really had gotten to a point where that with the, the benzos and all the other things, and it had just become a... Also, just to clarify, benzos are like Xanax, Ativan, Clonopin, stuff like that. They're barbiturates. So it's just a, it's a downer, like yeah. alcohol. A benzo is basically an alcohol and a pill. Yeah. Um, That's why you shouldn't take them together, just yes, so you know. You should not take benzos <laughs> and alcohol together. So, yeah, it just um, there was accumulation of things that were really like I, I look back on it and I'm like, wow. Like, I mean... It, there was a lot of low, really low places. Yeah. I think that if you if you look at them all, though, I think that they're all pretty much even. It's all just about the last one was the final straw. Did your parents ever know you were using at any point? Absolutely. <laughs> well, I guess the, to be more specific, then, did they ever catch you doing things like no. in the act or anything like that? Mm -mm. Okay. I um, <clears throat> I actually came home. I drove home drunk one day. Uh. And then they caught me doing that. But, no, they never caught me doing pills or anything because, I mean, pills are really easy to hide. And most of the time, like, being a kid, like, I didn't have a lot of money, so I would just go buy what I needed and mm -hmm. dose and leave. Because, I mean, you, and an opiate high, whatever, stays for a while. And let's be real clear, like, I'm, I wasn't just doing opiates. Like, opiates were a part of mm -hmm. the plan, but, I mean, it's also we're also doing – 
you know, benzos and I mean, I'm Molly, MDMA, I mean, whatever it was, I mean, mm-hmm. I was, I was going to do like it. Like whatever I, you could get yeah, your hands on, I was on, a garbage basically. can. I was a garbage can that, that was a regular pot smoker. I mean, I smoked pot all the time. Right. And, you know, we, we, we would always wheel and deal and like, you know, uh, Buy something from this and sell it to a kid at school that's younger for make like 20, 30 bucks. And then I got into selling pot for a little bit to make money. Like, mm-hmm. so I was always finding a way to like get some cash. Cause in all reality, when you're a kid in high school and people are like, well, how did you afford it? I'm like, well, I didn't really have any bills. I mean, right. it, it, I come from a middle class family, you know, to get a couple hundred dollars a week to spend on drugs, it wasn't like that big of a deal. Right. But I did start to run into issues when it started being a couple hundred dollars a day. And then that's... So just for for listeners' sake, how much drugs were you getting for a hundred dollars a day? All right. So if um, if I had had a hundred dollars, I would have probably went and bought Maybe $50 worth of heroin. Okay. And then either, depending on if I had pot, maybe buy some pot with other $50. Or I'd buy, put gas in my car or... (laughs) Okay. Or whatever, buy benzos with it or whatever, you know, really. So how many days a week were you using? Was it every single day? Yeah. Every day? Wow. I mean, every day was something. I mean, because it eventually got into the point where um, I, actually uh, my mom had rented this huge house. It was five bedrooms. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was an older house. And it was in a nicer neighborhood. Though. Yeah. She was working two jobs. Things were going really good at the time. And uh, it, had, it had two living rooms, two full living rooms. And one living room, you can't, can't see it because I can't describe it to you, but... <laughs> If you look at like a cardboard box, one living room is in the left-hand corner, and then the other living room is in the bottom right-hand corner. Okay. So top left, bottom right. They're diagonal from each other. Yeah, and okay. they were set up like exactly the same, which is kind of trippy, but it was always funny. <laughs> okay. So I was asleep on the one in the left-hand corner, and I remember I just woke up projectile vomiting everywhere, and I just like couldn't stop, and I was just like rolling around, and I was like, oh my god, I have the flu, I have the flu, I have mm-hmm. the flu, and like my buddies, they actually like it was on, it was actually. On, kind of weird they showed up and they were sitting there talking and uh he said uh he was country but boy you ain't got the flu <laughs> he said you dope sick mm. and that was the first time that i experienced withdrawal yeah i didn't know what it was i thought it was a flu yeah they say that heroin withdrawal feels like the flu like you get the muscle soreness sweaty nausea vomiting diarrhea like the whole mm. thing i cannot imagine dealing with that how long did that how long did it last well it lasted about 30 minutes until he got something in me. Yeah. And I tell people this, and, and it's hard to comprehend, but it sounds so bad. But but in reality, it wasn't like, yeah, I, we did, I did use needles there at the very end, mm-hmm. like for a very short period of time. But most of the time, it was just snorting it. Yeah. Um, That's how most people start out, I feel yeah. like. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm sure that if I didn't have the support and stuff that I had, I'd mm-hmm. have really done some serious damage. Right. I was just lucky enough to, to back away from it in a time to where – I'm still able to develop mm-hmm. what little bit of brain I have left. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I got really lucky on that end. Um, but, yeah, it was 
it was a difficult thing because I, uh, if I asked one of you two right now if you want to do heroin, you'd probably look at me like I was crazy. I mean, I would say no. That's yeah. you know, I would also <laughs> say no for the record. So it's, it's just like be a hard no it for had me. To, it had to build up to that point, right? You know, like so many things had to come together, and I mean, I honestly I mean, you didn't like, just wake up one day and say, you know, I think I'm going to do heroin today. Yeah. It's and like, it always gets focused on heroin, but it's right. not just heroin. It wasn't just heroin. It was the patterns and the way that I was living mm-hmm. and these grandiose ideas. Yeah. How, like, what part of your lifestyle do you think contributed to your drug use? What part of my personality? Okay, so what part of your personality, excuse I me? I think my ability to be friends with everyone. Okay. I think... Honestly, that was probably one of the biggest reasons why I was so successful at drugs. Um, I'm not good at drugs anymore. Right. Actually, very bad. I do drugs. I break out in handcuffs usually. But, you know, being able to know people and get to know people and, like, get to know the drug scene. Like, Mm -hmm. I was a really young kid, and I really did get to know the drug scene. Like, I mean... Kids that were four years older than me and stuff, I mean, we were smoking DMT and taking acid trips. And I mean, doing, and how re- old were doing you? like 15, 16, yeah. buying research chemicals overseas. Like, I really loved drugs. I always did. Yeah. I wanted, I actually wanted to be a neuro, like a neuroscientist because I wanted to understand why they did what they did. Yeah. And I think it really is like there's like this huge correlation between like, I figured that the drugs, fixed me in a way because mm-hmm. when I took the drugs I felt normal normal's a cycle on a washing machine I felt baseline content <laughs> you know I felt content okay I felt like I didn't need as a human being mm-hmm. it's like built inside of us that we like want and want and want you know mm-hmm. if I went and showed you know all of y'all brand new Ferrari outside and said do you want it each and every one of you are just gonna say yeah I mean, maybe. I feel like there's strings attached with a new Ferrari outside, though. No, there's no strings attached. You <laughs> the just insurance want. alone. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, something how much are the payments going to be? <laughs> but anyway, that's what it is. It's just this, like, constant want yeah. and, like, need for, like, more. And I think that's what I, like, I got caught up in. I got caught up in wanting to be, you know, to have the most, to sell the most, to be the, you know, the hardest core. So was it like to, a... Like a reputation type thing that kind of drove you to maintain your use. Like, this is how people viewed me, so I yeah, have to absolutely. stay this way. Because a and lot of like, times I didn't want to. Do you still talk to any of the people that you were involved with back then? Yeah, the ones that weren't dead. Yeah. That's tough. That's um, My best friend, um, he's still alive, and he's fine, so he's good. That's good. The other, we have one, he's good, he's... He's doing well, and like three of them are dead. One of them I was pretty close with that passed away um, that I had gone to school with, and then one was a cousin of mine, and the other one I was just associates with. You know, mm-hmm. I, I had used with him before. Yeah. So did this kind of follow you into college, or did you kind of – like, did you find a way to – get help before you got to college oh no yeah it followed me into college it did oh yeah for sure i um 
I eventually kind of like skipped around halfway houses for a little bit and ended okay. up in one in Southern Pines where I was living. And um, I had gotten kicked out all the ones that um, that I was allowed to go to. Okay. And um, I got kicked out of all the ports. Okay. Um, detoxes. So I had not detoxes, but the halfway houses. So yeah. I had to go to this prison reentry halfway house. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I slept in this uh, probably 25 by 25, like a, almost like a like half of a gymnasium okay. with cots and just okay. a bunch of guys. So I feel like it's one of those those situations, like the shelters that they put on TV. It like, was kind of like that. Kind of like that. <laughs> it's called Bethesda Men's Home. Okay. For the for the al- for alcoholism. For alcoholism. Okay. Yeah. They had like a it had like a lunchroom and like you go eat lunch at a certain time. So. It was a halfway house, but was it like a treatment program or just like you had to go to like a certain amount of meetings a week, mm. like Alcoholics Anonymous meetings? And a how week. long were you there? Six months. Six months. That's a long time. Mm-hmm. Did you was that like what helped you? No, no. So you came out and no, I used the whole time I was there, okay. just about right. on and off. Um, it was actually it, it was actually like. One of the most mind-blowing experiences I've ever had. <laughs> I mean, I remember okay. there was a little, there was a shelter out back. It was a log cabin that was donated, and there was a pool table in there. Uh huh. I was playing pool with this is guy. Is that is that where you got to go to pool? Yeah, yeah that is okay. where I got to go to pool. Actually, <laughs> I actually really love playing pool. That's one of my hobbies. Yeah. But um, <clears throat> I asked him what he went to prison for, and he said a kidnapping and attempted murder. Oh. Said oh, he was like. Yeah, man, but he's like, you know, like, I, I wasn't going to kill him. Like, I just told him that because, like, the gang told me to. He's like, you know, he, they just told me just to tie him up and, like, I just leave him in the parking lot. And that was, like, my third day there, and I was okay. like. Okay, and you had to stay in that place for six months. Yeah, so I remember calling my dad because you could have your phone and stuff. Like, it was, yeah. it was like a, basically like a homeless shelter. That's so interesting to me. And I remember okay. calling my dad that and telling him that, and my dad was like, he like he says that you know he said on the phone he remember like oh you did it to yourself, and now he always tells me he said he stayed up for like two days and was just like oh my god oh my god I oh bet he god. was so like, stressed oh out like, like he's gonna, is he like, gonna like, make, he's it out alive. make it alive like oh lord, so um, anyway I ended up moving out of there and I moved in with this girl and we actually uh, it was a a horse barn. <laughs> Okay. And it was like. So you com- lived in a horse barn. Yeah. It was okay. like the whole bottom was like ho- where horses like went and, and, and like stayed. Uh, like a horse yeah. stable. Yeah. Like I could okay. hear the horses at night. Okay. Yeah. Like in the, but above was like a really nice apartment. And so we just like okay. split the rent. It was like really small. It was All really right. weird though because I didn't know the girl that well. And the, and, and the shower was oddly placed on the left side of her room, like past her bed. So like before work in the morning, I would like have to get up and like walk go around her past room her room and, and take a shower. So it was just like a really odd point in my life. <laughs> like, and I didn't How really. How old were you at this time? Oh, uh, nineteen. <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah. And you don't you didn't have family Eight. like out in Southern Pines? Right? Yeah, yeah, I do. You do? Yeah, okay, do. okay, yeah, yeah. Like I would go to my, like my grandma's and eat like if I got like real hungry, and then, uh, okay. actually and, and I did though the whole time though my uh, step grandfather was dying of pancreatic cancer. Okay. So I did like I I did help like I would go over there and help yeah. help him out and everything and um. So that was like a good thing at the same mm-hmm. time. 
but it was like a lot of life lessons. Like I feel like after that, you know, that that I had left from that house to the um Walmart parking lot and that's where I ended up mm-hmm. going to treatment. But anyway, um yeah, I was just like sitting around that house. Like I I was working at like the grill and like I was supposed to be going to school, but I just quit going to school and just I I made friends with the guy at the end of the store at the, the corner store mm-hmm. and he would just sell me beer all day underage and I oh would just goodness. go back to that little <laughs> like horse horse, tr- barn, horse barn and drink beer with I the would horses just drink beer and stand on the thing and I would throw the little bottle caps out in the yard and <laughs> I mean I did that for like a few days like I mean I was just doing also doing copious amounts of drugs I and mean, I was running through my my cart as fast as I could yeah and um. Uh, the night I remember everything kind of went down was I had like got off work. Actually, that night at work, I remember. So like I was taking a whole lot of everything, you mm-hmm. know. Was, we don't have to get into the specifics of it, but it was just a lot of chemicals I was putting in my body. Mm-hmm. A lot of stuff I've been wearing online and stuff too. And I remember I was cooking, and the next thing I know, I was in the lobby of where I was working at. <laughs> and I was okay. like, oh, Lord, like, I guess I'm having, like, blackouts now or something or anxiety because sometimes anxiety can get it. It, mm-hmm. was, it turns out it was anxiety. But anyway, I went back, and uh, I guess I had it. I guess, you know, I got really intoxicated and, like, really, really, like, messed up. And uh, I picked up some needles from CVS, and I guess I hauled dope, like, downtown or something mm-hmm. in Southern Pines. And I uh, went back. And just and I got loaded, and uh, I remember, like I I remember that there was like I couldn't get through this door. I was like having this dream that night. I couldn't get through this door, and so I remember I was just beating the door down. And I remember like like feeling the blood and like everything, like because like, I I really had to pee. You know, you drink, you gotta pee, right? But I remember <laughs> this door, like it was like I felt like it was a dream, you know. But it wasn't. You were like actually hitting. It the wasn't door. a dream. Yeah, I, I beat the door down with my fist through the Cheerio cabinet into there and went and peed and then came back and passed out. And so and this was in the horse barn. This was the top of the horse barn. Okay. Yeah. So they had all went to like Fayetteville that night, like because I lived with a girl and like a bunch of other girls that worked there. Mm-hmm. They would like crash. It was like. It was pretty much kind of like a flop house in mm-hmm. a way, but it was like nice. Like her mom had money, and so. So what happened after the horse barn? Like what? Where? What was oh, next yeah. for oh, you? Oh yeah, yeah. They came back from Fayetteville that night, and evidently they that I was like was my I was having shallow breathing. Mm. Um, but of course, no. I, of course, I wasn't having shallow breathing. So I packed up everything in five minutes and literally left my whole life at this this girl's horse barn. So you were mad that they told you you were having yeah. shallow breathing? Yeah, because I woke up like I mean I mean I'm I'm waking up off a bender from how, I don't know how many days I've been drinking. I don't even know what day it is really. I feel yeah. like at this point in time, I got blood all over me. You know? Okay. Is this from your hands? Yeah, from, from my the hands. door. Yeah. Okay. Like I tore my hands up like really, really bad. All right. And so I run out and I just grab what I can and then I just leave and go to the Walmart parking lot and I just. Like, and that was kind of your it. home for, for yeah. how long? Uh, like three days. Three days. Yeah. And then you decided to get treatment while you were there? Yeah. Well, that- I had been going to school, like I said. Mm hmm. And there was a guy there, because I had been going to the AA meetings when I was at the Bethesda Men's Home. Okay. And there was a guy there that uh, 
was in one of the classes I was in. It's like a basic econ class. Mm -hmm. He's actually a social worker too. So anyway, I had this guy. I would go into class all the time, and I'd always wear sunglasses. Like, I still am notorious for that, for, like, wearing sunglasses inside. And he would always be like, why do you always wear your sunglasses? He's like, well, you been out drinking last night? Because he knew that I had been going to AA, like, trying to stop drinking and drugging and stuff. Uh, there's weird terminology between A and A and AA, like, certain things you say. You say, like, drinking as in, like, like getting messed up at this mm -hmm. particular group because NA, Northwest Anonymous, wasn't really strong. So, uh, anyway, I would, I would, I, I would lie and I eventually I started being honest with him. <laughs> I was finally like, dude, like screw this guy. Like, I'm just going to tell you what it is. You know, I'm just going to tell you how it is. I'm right. going to tell you how I live. You want to <laughs> ask, I'll tell you. I'll you you. want to know, I'll tell you. Okay. And uh, I started telling him and he started telling me about how his son was like going to school there too and stuff like that. And we were like exact same age, like three days apart or something. And he had ruined that relationship with his son from growing up because he's crackhead. Um, like he was a crackhead or his son was a crackhead? He was a crackhead. Okay. I'll, I'll publicly expose him because he's awesome. His name is Barry Hill. Okay. And he works at Samaritan Colony. So he, uh, it's funny. Um, he would always like ask me, like, mm -hmm. are you messed up? Or da, da, da. And then it finally, I guess the progression of it must have been to where I started to look really bad again. Mm -hmm. and, he, and then he would start to ask, he would say, do you want to go to detox? Like, he was serious. Like, mm -hmm. he was like, like, you want to go to detox? And I would always, like, laugh and joke it off or whatever. And I remember, like, the last time I saw him before he picked me up, he, like, cornered me in the parking lot. He was like, mm -hmm. are you ready to go to detox? And I was like. <laughs> Your yeah. face right now is like, very. I was like, no, dude, I don't want to go to detox. Yeah. Leave, leave me alone, please. And when I got in that, uh that jam in the Walmart parking lot and I had called my dad and I told him what was up and my dad said, good lucky. I hung mm -hmm. on the phone. So I sat there for a minute and was like, I got to figure out a different way. Mm -hmm. And it was the only option. So I called him. This dude was like, I'll be there in 30 seconds. Pulled up. Is this the moment that kind of oh, helped yeah. turn yeah. you around? I don't know. I think it was all of the moments built together. Yeah. I don't think there was any one singular thing that really, like, helped turn me around. I think it was just, like, got me back on track. Yeah. But the dude took me to detox and set me up with aftercare treatment, and I walked into the treatment facility, and uh, they tell me to go sit in my counselor's office, and it says Barry Hill on the thing, and he walks <laughs> out, and he goes, hey, uh, my name's Barry Hill. I'll be your substance abuse counselor. Nice to meet you. And that was the guy who was, like, coming to the AA meetings and, yeah. like, cornered you in the parking lot and stuff. That's really awesome. That's yep. awesome that Full he was, circle. like, so persistent with you. And then after that, I um, had needed a sponsor, mm -hmm. like, through the program when you get an AA and a Yeah. And uh, they pick your sponsor for you. Mm -hmm. and Do they really? Kind of, yeah, in treatment they oh, do. Oh, okay, okay. And uh, they they picked him as my sponsor, and they had the place has been open for, like, 70-something years, and... AA is like goes like like way, way back, back. Yeah. and so I think AA was instituted in like the 50s and so I was the first person in the history of the whole rehab to ever have a uh employee that was their sponsor which hmm. was it's kind of like an interesting story it's just kind yeah. of how everything worked out and so I've kind of watched him go through uh everything I mean he's now working on his master's That's and awesome. yeah, I'm going to law school so it's it's really cool
So was that like your final, like you were done after that? You didn't really go back to drugs after that? No, uh, I, I never messed around or, or, or did anything um, for really like a long time. I think like two years. Mm-hmm. And I think after that, um, you know, I would have the occasional like glass of wine, but other than that, no, not really. I just had never had a draw. I think I had found, finally found myself, mm-hmm. you know, finally found like what makes me me. And um, so, I think that's constantly changing those. So mm-hmm. I think that's what I always have to keep up with. Yeah. So what was, um, I guess, like what made you, like what made that time different than all the other times that you like tried to quit? Did you try to quit before? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I remember throwing pills out of the window yeah. when I was 16 years old because I didn't want to take them anymore. And I turned around and get, go, get out of the car and go get them. Yeah. Did you really? You yeah. would throw them out and then go find them? Yeah, I did it one time, oh. but like, still, like that's some drug addict behavior, right? You know, like, <laughs> right. Get out and try to pick it up. Um, so, like, what made that time different? I guess. I don't know what made that time different. Okay, that's. I mean, that's it's weird. like you know, it's like one of those things where it's like, you know, what, what is it that clicks? Mm-hmm. I, it's not. It's not, uh, uh, there's no light switch. There's no, nothing that, it, it what it is is persistent work and mm-hmm. bettering yourself. That's ultimately what it is. So you were just like done with your lifestyle and just yeah, kind of decided that it was time lifestyle. for you to be done. Yeah. Ultimately. I got you. I, I wanted to be somebody, mm-hmm. you know, I wanted to, I wanted to, I wanted to do things like this. Right. Sitting in a Walmart parking lot, you know. It's not helping anybody. It's not helping anybody or helping myself right. by any means. So if you could go back, what advice would you give yourself? Like, what would you tell your past self if you had the opportunity to talk to yourself? I don't know if it's advice or what, but it's something like me and my dad, like have started saying each other lately. Mm-hmm. And it's always, cause we're like taking this big leap and I'm like going to USC and I'm like going to law school there. And I'm like, congratulations. Yeah. That's I'm a like, big thing. Yeah. So I'm like straight off the rip. We went and got an apartment like this weekend mm-hmm. and just like a lot of, a lot of things. And, um, <clears throat> you know, I'll call him with a problem and, and, uh, it was actually me who started saying it. I was like, well, it's, uh, it's been okay this far. So, uh, guess if we just keep going it's gonna be okay then mm-hmm. so that's that's probably what i tell myself you know mm-hmm. it'll be okay man just keep going yeah because ultimately like at the end of the day i think i do make the right decisions mm-hmm. i think you know i have a track record of 23 years now so and i've had some pretty wild years and i've had some pretty pretty wild times and i also have uh type 1 diabetes now so that is interesting in mm-hmm. itself because I was like super huge anti needle after I got off drugs, and uh, now they're pushing them back in my hand. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's it's been a quite the interesting experience. So I have one more question before we uh, close out. But what do you think that the ECU community could do to better su- support people that are struggling with addiction? Because I feel like it's more common on our campus than people acknowledge. So I would just love to get your perspective on that. It's always going to be a problem. It's not, it's nothing you'll ever fix. I mean, not unless there's some type of social revolution. Or I don't think it is. I think it's a rite of passage. I think it's a part of life. I really do. I think it's an unfortunate thing. I think the 
what we can do is we can educate people on the dangers mm -hmm. of, of, of what it is and and try as much harm prevention as possible you know we allow people to get testers for their drugs and i know that sounds like a very wild standpoint but if you're gonna do it i want you to have you know all the things necessary to you so that you don't hurt yourself and mm -hmm. it ultimately cause more damage to other individuals so i would say on the other end through my experience, which I don't have a lot of experience, I guess it is kind of getting up there now. I'm three years of working with people and being a peer support specialist. I would say that there has been very few times in my journey where I have pressed an individual and they have actually switched mm -hmm. to want to do the right thing. Most of the time, I'd say 75 to 80% of the time, the individual is ready and it just takes a little bit of prodding. Yeah. You just kind of have to meet people where they are. Right. Um, kind of going off of what you said with like keeping people safe with doing drugs and stuff like that. Um, just because part of this podcast is to provide resources for people. There is actually, <clears throat> excuse me, there's actually a uh, needle exchange program here in Pitt County. It's called Ecom for Change and they provide um, a needle exchange program so you can bring dirty needles and exchange them for clean needles. They give you testing kits and they give you like a bunch of supplies to keep you safe if you choose to do substances. So um, if any of our listeners may be experiencing that or know someone who's experiencing that, that's an awesome resource as well as some of the resources we have on campus, like the Counseling Center and our Collegiate Recovery Community. Um, but I did have one last question for you. And just so that um, our listeners can really hear like full circle about like where you were to where you are now. And I know you've kind of mentioned a little bit about like where you are now throughout the podcast, but can you just like really give us like a full picture of like kind of what you do now and how like how your past has impacted you in like um, an elevator speech okay yeah <laughs> elevator speech basically is that once i got into it when i got clean i was really into it uh, i wanted to help and save the world and i realized that it's not possible mm -hmm. and i think it was a debbie downer moment and i stepped away from it mm -hmm. and i think finally i've kind of gotten back into it uh, on a more personable level especially since I've been doing my internship at the Hope Station, mm -hmm. working with individuals and kind of putting that extra burning desire to help people into those individuals I feel like I can, like, help. Um, and I've seen some of that, like, come to fruition, and that's really been cool lately to, like, mm -hmm. really, like, see these guys that I'm working with, like, actually get help. Um, so moving forward, uh, looking forward to getting through with that. And then with law school, I think we're going to try to keep the same kind of path with helping individuals, mm -hmm. but I'd like to do like healthcare law. Okay. I don't really know what that looks like. I don't know if that's litigation for patients or if that's attacking insurance companies. I'm not quite sure what that looks like. But uh, we're going to figure it out. So that's where I'm at right now. All right. Any other questions before I leave? No, I think we're good as far as questions go. Do you have anything uh, else? I just wanted to thank you for coming yeah. on and sharing your story. I know that it's something that you've done before, but it's something new to us, and we really appreciate it. And I think the ECU community will appreciate it also. Okay, bye, everyone. Bye, friends. See you soon. See ya.
If you or a loved one is in crisis, we encourage you to reach out to the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration. This is a free, confidential, 24-7, 365-day-a-year treatment referral and information service available in both English and Spanish for individuals and families facing mental and or substance use disorders. The phone number for contact is 1-800-622-HELP.